Amen. Now that he's alive, you are alive eternally. Happy Easter. I was talking to Brother Jimmy a while ago. Three days determined your eternal destination. Three days. On Friday, God laid everything you ever did. He laid it on him. Every bad thought you ever had, he laid it on him. You had a price. But Easter morning, God sealed the deal. Transaction had been made, had been finished. Didn't matter the price that Satan put on you. You had a price on you. We'll look at that here directly. You had a price. Satan put such a high price on you. He thought there's no way this price will ever be paid. He overestimated our God. So, happy Easter. If you have your Bibles. Try to get through this. You all, I've, I've, I told Brother Jimmy I've had this sermon for several months. It ain't hard to make it an Easter sermon. Brother Jimmy said you can make any sermon an Easter sermon. So we're going to look at the t- what I've titled is, is what God traded for you. God had to give up something. Something was gave up for you. And hopefully we can look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. We're going to read verse 17 through 20, and if, if you will, as, after we read, we'll pray. We remember Sister Erica, I know she's dealing with the shingles. I think Sister Cynthia is battling a, a virus now. We need to remember her in prayer, and I know they've, um, Sister Joel Yance, some, I don't know if they've announced it or yet, you know, they've given her a few days now, so they've called in the family, so remember them in your prayers. Um, I know Sister Joel's excited. Sister Joel's where she's getting ready to be where she wants to be. And so we, uh, we glory in that with her. So, if you will, let's read the word. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17, But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doth, doeth is without the body. He that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which you have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Glorify the one that paid for you. You were bought. He now owns you. The man that bought you gave you your freedom. That's who we glorify. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can come sit around your word, Lord, to partake of the man of heaven. Lord, to reflect back. Lord, I know we, we've, they've set this day on the calendar as a day that the whole world looks back and remembers the, the day of Calvary, Good Friday. Lord, and on Saturday, Lord, as your prophet told us, you know, in them three days, how you conquered death, hell, and the grave. And Lord, and you, you rose again on Sunday, Father, and, and set captive free, Lord. Brought healing to souls, brought healing to bodies. Lord, brought love and joy in our lives. 
But Lord, help us not to remember just on this weekend. May we wake up with that on our hearts. May we wake up and go through our day, Lord, with that on our hearts and our minds that you died and you paid the price for us. Lord, we pray for Sister Erica there going with the shingles. Lord, I pray that you would touch her, give her healing in her body, Lord. We know it's just Satan's mad at her, Lord, that, that we, we haven't accepted what, what the devil gave her, Lord. Lord, we, we, we're believing and trusting receiving her healing. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, Sister Cynthia, Father, the same thing. She's been healed so many times. Lord, and Satan keeps attacking her. Father, we're claiming victory for her again this morning. Lord, the Yance family there, Lord, the Orrin Duffs and, and, and Sonia and all them, Lord, I pray that you would give them comfort in this time. Lord, help them to realize and know, Father, that she's going to a place where there's great rejoicing, Father, where she wants to be. Bless everyone that has a need here this morning. Touch their hearts, Lord. Lord, the service is going in Louisiana. Lord, we've seen how you've moved in such a mighty way so far. Lord, we pray that the same spirit would come here this morning. Set me aside, Lord. Lord, use me as you will, and we thank you for it. Use them to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> If you have your, your Bibles, we want to continue to read 1 Corinthians 7, 22 as well. Paul says, For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You are bought with a price. Be ye not servants of men. If you had a price on your head, that means somebody owns you. If, he, if God paid a price... For you, before he paid that price, somebody owned you. We, we're, we'll background a little bit on, on how, about the fall in the garden and how Satan was able to, to get a hold of your life and become the owner of all things. Brother Branham said in the power of the devil, a man said one time, Brother Branham to redeem, he says, the devil put me in the pawn shop. The Lord Jesus redeemed me. I thought that was pretty cute and right too. That the devil put you in the pawn shop. But Jesus came by and redeemed you. And there's always a ransom to be paid when anything is redeemed. And Jesus was your ransom. God sent him and made him in the likeness of sinful flesh. Yet he was Emmanuel. A created blood dwelt within him. And he gave his blood for the redemption price to redeem us back into the recon reconciliation to God. That we may walk with him as in the beginning. In the beginning, when he didn't have to shift for himself, God provided everything he had need of. Adam didn't need anything. God provided it all. There's no, we, you know, we, we say the world, you know, 6,000 years, we take time back. Well, before the fall, we don't know how long the time was that Adam was in the garden, was on the earth. Could have been millions of years, billions of years that he had control of the garden. He didn't, have, he didn't want for anything. He didn't need anything. He had all he ever needed. But after he got reckless and shiftless and done wrong and sin separated him from God, then he had to shift for himself. And now Jesus came to redeem this man back into the care of the hands of the loving Father. Redemption brought back, replaced, put in position. To background a little bit on... on you know, Brother Branham always took us back to the mind of God. How God thought of you before the foundation of the world. You were in the thoughts of God. If you, you were a predestinated seed, if you were God's now, you were God's before the foundation of the world. You were in his mind. 
And there's nothing that could ever separate that. So when God said, let there be light, he thought of you. You were the sole purpose of why God said, let there be light. It was you, his desire to have fellowship with you. That was what drove him to, to do creation. His purpose was to create a body he could dwell in. And that's what he did. But we look at all that God bought. God created all the, the heavens, the earth, the universe, the planets, the moon, the sun, everything. And he said, this is good. It's good. But then when he created man in his own image, the image of God was a spirit form. He said, when, when God created man in his own image, he said, this is very good. This is very good. It's the only part of his creation that he says, this is very good. When God paid for you, brought you out of sin, recreated you, and placed his life inside you, God said, this is very good. Amen. You might have thought you were good before. You might have thought, look at me, I'm doing good, I'm living life, I'm doing everything. But God had to recreate you. God had to re recreate a, a body that he could dwell in. And when he put his image, his spirit inside of you, he said, this is very good. And this is what happens to Adam. And he says, this is very good. Everything was in perfect harmony. But God was only limited at this point when everything was in perfect harmony. God was only limited on the parts of himself that he could show. There was no sin. He couldn't reveal himself as a healer. Man hadn't fallen yet. He couldn't reveal himself as a redeemer, as a savior. He couldn't show that. He couldn't reveal himself as a comforter. There was no one to be comforted because there was nothing wrong. So he has to reveal himself. And then Satan tricked him. I wish it was his April Fool's. Satan thought he tricked him. Satan can never do anything in your life that God don't allow. We get so beat down on things happening in our life, we could focus the very first thought that comes to our mind, God must be allowing this. God must be allowing this. God allowed Satan. He, Satan played right into God's plan. Played right into his plan. God says, I got all these things about myself that I want to show you. But I have to get the enemy. I have to let the enemy come in before I can show you that. So God allows Satan in the garden. <clears throat> he allows him to slip in and deceive Eve. Why did he do that? So he could, re he could reveal himself more. This is a revelation God that wants us to have of ourselves. We don't have, sometimes we don't have confidence in ourselves. We beat ourselves up with so many of our faults and our failures and things in our life. And God is putting you through a trial and you fail that trial. You fail it. I fail it. We all fail it. God puts a trial in your life and you fail it. What's God going to do? He's going to give it to you again. He's going to give it to you again. All these things that you deal with in, this, in your life, these things that bring depression, these things that bring anxiety in your life, things that you keep following, these besetting sins in your life, they, you, they keep bringing you down and you forget to see that God is, God's got confidence in you. If God did not have confidence in you, he would not give it to you again. He wouldn't keep giving it to you. God is trying to show you to yourself who you really are. 
God is trying to show you the capabilities that you have in Him, not in yourself. You know, when I was studying this part, I got to thinking last night, I was putting my notes down, and I got to think when I was seven, eight years old. Seven, eight years old. Philip Martin remembers this, because he was there with me. We always swam with life jackets. Oh man, my dad bought us some nice big orange life jackets. And we thought we were the stuff. We could swim. And one day dad says, take it off. No, head, I don't want to take it off. Right, Philip? Take it off. Why? Why waste a perfectly good life jacket? Now, my brother David, he jumped in. I wasn't going to jump in. There's no way. I'll drown. I'll drown. Guess what he did? He picked me up and threw me in. He threw me in. My dad. But what I didn't see at eight years old, he knew I could swim. He knew the capabilities that I had. And guess what I did when I came up? I swam. I swam. Even though he was the one that threw me in. When I come up, I looked for him. I put my eyes on him. Because even if I was going down, I knew he would get me out. I never wore another life jacket. But the strange thing about that, sometimes we think about how deep this water is that you get thrown into. It's been the water we've been swimming in for months. It was only up to here. The water he threw me in, he knew I could stand up and put my feet down. That's the unseen things in your life. Because you focus on your problem. The problem that he paid a price for. The problem that he took upon himself. He took that problem upon himself and said, now you can swim. If you need to walk, put your feet down. If you need help, I'm right here. It's that simple. We focus on the water. We focus on our own capabilities, our own problems. And he says, don't do that. I failed to focus on what the confidence that he had in me. I never thought in your seven-year-old mind, you're going to say, you know what? This is what it is. I know what it is. My dad, dad sees that I'm strong. I'm, I'm good. Uh, I'm seven now. And uh, when he throws me in there, I'll do the backstroke, come back with a butterfly and all that. Your mind don't work that way. If God puts you through something, he's going to provide you a way out. Amen. Always. Amen. He's never once ever gave a problem that he didn't provide a way out. There's always going to be a way out. So, the fall in the garden, we know, put, put mankind on a pathway to hell. Straight to hell. You know, we hear people say all the time, you know, God's going to send me to hell. God, God don't send people to hell. 
God sent one person to hell. One. He sent one. In your place. He sent one to hell. In your place. People say, he sent me to hell. He don't send people to hell. He provides a way from hell. When you were born, you were, you were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, coming to the world, speaking lies. You were on a greased slide to hell when you were born. You were on your way. As a father, you ever take your kids to the park? They want to get on the big boy slide, right? They want to get on the big boy slide. What do you do as a father? You meet them halfway. You catch them before they hit the ground. They've never been on the big boy slide. That's what it was on your way to hell. God met you halfway. God met you halfway to hell and pulled you off. He might have met you on the bottom. You might have been at the very bottom. You had nowhere to go. You was going to fall in that big mud puddle at the very end. And daddy grabs you right before you hit the bottom. But you were on your way to hell. Just because you were born in a message church, you never did anything bad. You, I've, I've seen kids be born in a message church, sit on the front row from the time they're, they're born, and, and you never see them from the, their whole life never do anything wrong. Never do anything wrong. Live a good life. Get the Holy Ghost. And you've never seen them do anything wrong. They were on their way to hell when they were born. They were on the well, way. God might have caught them just as soon as they got on the slide. God might you let you slide all the way to the bottom. But if you're predestinated, the price that he paid for you, when he rose Easter morning and sealed the deal, you'll never hit the bottom of that slide. You'll never hit the bottom. I'm going through these notes quick because I have way too many. I've never had this many notes before in my life. I feel like Brother Donnie now. <laughs> Don't ever tell him I said that. They got backups for everything in here this morning, don't they? Brother Bram said, from that time, the liar, he thought he'd tell a little lie to his mother. He went and ate some coffee and went and blowed breath in his mother's face. See, I never smoked, Mama, but you lied. A red light flashes. Don't do this, little boy. It's not easy to go to hell. You have to fight your way to hell. God provided a way. You have to fight your way out of that way. You have to fight to get out of it. Because everything you ever did, everything that would send you to hell, God took off of you. God took it away from you. So how, do you, how would you, to go to hell, what do you got to do? You got to go fight and scrape and try to get all that back that God took from you. Because the price that was going to send, to hell, send you to hell, God took it and laid it on Christ. And you've got to fight to get it back. And, I, and you've heard me say this so many times before. The things that we bring up in our life. Bring up in our past, we talk about things, we, how we did this. Even sometimes people will talk about it, how, how great it was. Ah, but you should see me when I did this, when I did that. Bringing up something God forgave you for. Bringing up something, you're reaching into hell and pulling it out. I remember saying, I don't know if I said it here or somewhere else. There's a no fishing sign in the sea of forgetfulness. 
No fishing. But yet we wet a line all the time. Bring it back in. If you're talking about it, you're fishing. If you're talking about it, you're reaching to hell and bringing it out. And God is looking at you. What in the world are you talking about? You never done that. Why are you saying you did? God can't, and many times as your human brain can remember it, God can't remember it. God says, I don't know what you're talking about. But God don't want you talking negative. He don't want you glorying in the things that you did way back when. Little boy, don't do this. Little girl, don't do that. See, it. something happens in you. You fight right over it. You pass by the church. You hear people singing the gospel songs. You really want to go in. But you light up another cigarette and shake your head. I remember Brother Darrell telling his testimony of when God saved him. He said he had got to the point where he'd drive by the church and hold up a can of beer out the window as he drove by. Brother Darrell wasn't glorying in that. He was showing you where God brought him from. And he said he knew, after a point, he knew he, he ought to be in there. It's something happens in you. You fight right over it. You pass by the church. You hear people singing the gospel songs. You really want to go in. You light up another cigarette and shake your head. What are you trying to do? You're fighting your way right through every barricade. God don't send you to hell. You send yourself to hell. Break every barricade. Run every stoplight trying to make yourself go to hell and then say God's good and won't send you to hell. You're sending yourself to hell. That's right. God sends nobody to hell. It's created for the devil and his angels. But you fight your way right into it. Men and women do. He swore by himself, 54. God's divine judgment made an innocent person sin. I read a quote the other day where Brother, Brother Branham said, it, I think it was in one of the church ages books, where Brother Branham said that he didn't, that Jesus wasn't a sinner, but he became sin. He became sin. That's worse than being a sinner. He became Sin manifested right here. That was him. He was sin. God had no choice but to send him to hell. Had no choice. He bore our divine judgment, took our penalty, taking your sins and your guilt, your ticket to hell, your ticket to torment, took it upon himself and died in our stead and was sent to hell in my place. This is the only one that God ever sent to hell. In reading that, I wonder if you understand your true value. If God valued you so much, He made His only Son sin to save you. <clears throat> Look at what Satan tried in the garden with Eve. Look what he told her. If you eat thereof, she says, I'll surely die. He said, You won't die. Satan tries to get, it, get us to, to think God rejects us for things we do in our life. Makes us think that God, God, we, we can't, you have people that won't come to church because they think they're so bad. I've seen, I've went too far. I'm not, I'm not sure that I can do, I can go to church because the things that I've done. Satan has put this idea of rejection in their mind. 
that God will reject them for their sins, that God will reject them for the very sins that he laid on Christ. That's a tactic of the devil. He did it, he did it in the garden with Eve. Look what he told Eve. God knows that you will be as God's. If you look at the Hebrew word when he says you will be as God's, it's Elohim. God thinks you will be like him. He knew, he, he knew this very well. Because this is the tactic he tried on God. I want to be like God. The very tactic that Satan used, he throws this on, on, on Eve. He was still hurt because God kicked him out. He was still hurt because God rejected him. So he tells Eve, uh, you, you, you can eat of that. What God's telling you is not true. He'll reject you because when you finally have all this knowledge, knowledge, wisdom, spirit of this age, knowledge, head knowledge, when you have all this knowledge, you'll be like God. That's what he tells him. And God will reject you for that. You won't die. He wants to keep you focused on the tree of knowledge instead of the tree of life. The old rugged tree. Where you, God put everything that you ever did, stuck it on that tree. The tree of life got put on a rugged, a rugged tree. For you, for me. And Satan thinks, he can put it in your mind, if, if, I can, if I can remember these quotes, if I can quote these scriptures and all that. You got preachers now that come in, that's all they do is they read quotes and they read scriptures. Or they push play. And that's it. Knowledge. If you have replaced a pastor with a tape player, that's all you're going to get. That's all you're going to get. You're going to get head knowledge. Good head knowledge. But God's not going to anoint what goes outside of his word. He won't anoint it when it goes outside of his word. I, I didn't mean to get on that. Let's move on. And there was a man that could turn on the light. A great, a great message. Me and Brother Larry was talking about this yesterday. I didn't say nothing when he told me about this message. I already had this quote in here, Brother Larry. And a man who is given to live on this earth by his own wisdom, taking the tree of knowledge instead of the tree of life, he'll destroy the earth that God give him to live on. But those who are still on the tree of life shall come to a new heavens and a new earth where there is no sickness or death. Head knowledge won't get you there. Head knowledge won't get you into heaven. When it comes to, I sit and listen to these ministers. When, when they talk, I don't go to ministers' meetings. I've been invited. I don't go. I don't know anything. If I was to go, I would sit there and listen. I don't remember quotes. I can't remember them. I can't remember scriptures. I can tell you what he done for me. I can tell you the price he paid for me. I can tell you where I'm going. I can tell you how I got there. But to put it in some deep theology, I ain't got no idea. It's beyond my thinking. I can point you to the tree of life. 
I can tell you that it's because of the tree of life that I'm standing here today. I can tell you it was the old rugged tree why I'm standing here today. But I can't explain it to you spiritually. Like some theologian. That's one reason why I get so nervous when I come up here. I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing and stumble somebody. Because I can't remember stuff. No, it's not because I'm over 50. Law and grace in 54. That same almighty great being humbled himself and unfolded himself and come into a body of flesh that any man could touch with his hands. God came into a body that any man could touch with his hands. Jesus Christ. Sinless. Born virgin birth. Never did anything wrong. Never, ever. Do you realize that did not satisfy God's longing to live in human flesh? It didn't do it. God in flesh, God in this body of Jesus of Nazareth embodied himself in there, dwelt in there, but that still did not give God fulfillment. When he created the body, Melchizedek stepped into that body, picked up the dust, stepped into that body. I've probably said this to you before, but what a wonderful body that would have been just to create it, step into it, and here's God. The body of Melchizedek that God spoke and created out of the dust never gave God fulfillment to dwell in that body. You think, why wouldn't God be happy living in a body of Jesus Christ where he'd done no sin? He was born of a birth of a woman, an incubator. He was born that way. God created it. God created the, the cell and the seed, and here they come together. Virgin birth. Grows up. Gets baptized. God comes down, says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Enters into that body. Glorious. It never satisfied God to dwell in the body of Jesus Christ. Why? He didn't have to show Jesus, I'm a healer. He didn't have to show Jesus, I'm a comforter. All that stuff the way he does you. Jesus never sinned. He never sinned. He wanted you. You are the greatest desire that he ever had. When he said, let there be light. There's something inside. You didn't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about rejection. You don't, you don't have to worry about that. God rejected you for things you've done. I've got a buddy and he's sitting here. I'm not going to call his name. But as soon as I tell this, he's going to know who I'm talking about. This is something I remember from about 24 years ago. Very dear friend of mine. He liked this lovely young girl at church. And he would never ask her out. And I keep saying, hey, buddy, do you ask her? Nope. Why not? He said, I'm, I'm afraid of the R word. I'm afraid of the R word. I said, R word? Rejection. I said, she ain't going to reject you. Went on week after week. Buddy, did you ask her? No. 
I don't know if he ended up paying somebody off <laughs> to ask for him. But if you want to look at it on a spiritual sense, if you look at their family now, it was something God was trying to join together. And Satan had put in his mind, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be rejected. God's got our words in your life. It's redemption. It's revival. It's restoration. Those are God's our words for you. He's not going to reject you. We just, we, we can't, human mind cannot comprehend the love that God has for man. A love that, that God would give his only son. There ain't a father in here. There's not a father in here that would give up any of your children for somebody else. There's not. You know, the Bible talks about, about the love that, that uh, no greater love has any man that would lay down his life for a friend. That's great human love. That's great human love. It don't get any better than that. No greater love. But we don't comprehend the love that God had. That's a godly love. That he would give up his only son. We wouldn't have had an Easter without a godly love. If if, if love stayed at the level of man's love, we would have never had an Easter. We, we don't understand our value, I don't think, sometimes, that God had as, as of us, that it, what He would give up. What God traded for you. We don't comprehend that. Claiming His road, trying to get into man, He went and offered His own blood. No other blood would do. No wonder he was the priceless price of heaven. No wonder he was the king of all kings. He unfolded himself, come down, submitted himself in the hands of sinful man to be beat, spit on, bruised, hung on the cross and died. When he was standing there, someone said, well, when I could call my father, he could send ten legions of angels, but my kingdom's not in this world. But the crowd said away with him. They had no idea who they were, who they were hanging on a cross. Why didn't he turn around and say, away with you? Why didn't he? He did say, Lord, God, Father, I don't want to do this. He did say that. Lord, this is not my, I don't want to do this. But if it's your will, if it's your will, I'll do it. Look at them. Look at his own children to think of a man's children crying for their daddy's blood. If my children were rotting for my blood, there'd be nothing else I could say, take me. If my own children don't love me, take me. These are the very ones that he came to save. The very ones that knew the scripture said the Messiah is coming. The very ones that he loved with all of his heart. They are the ones that's hanging him on the cross. They think. But this was God that put him on the cross. Take me. If he refused to do it, he lost his child, his very creation, his human beings. They was the one that was calling for his blood. Can you imagine the children calling for their father's blood? That's the reason he couldn't say no. If he said no, they would be lost. I'd die die freely for my children. Any father would. Look what he was, his own children crying for his blood. 
But this had to happen. Satan was playing right into God's hands. God was telling him, through all these years since the fall, Satan, you've taken their joy, you've taken their healing, you've taken their lives, you've you've given them depression, you've given them anxiety, you've given them cancer. And so what is he doing? God's getting on a stage. God is getting on the stage and he's going, he's telling him, watch these lives. Just because you, you think you're murdering my son, you're not, I am. God said, I am. I'm the one taking his life. What did Jesus said? Oh, I, I lay down my life. No man's going to take his life. These men didn't kill him. It was, it was predestinated. This was a great sacrifice. God was making this sacrifice. His blood was going to be an offering for, for you and for me. And God's telling Satan, you watch after this. After Easter morning, healing is now coming back to the children. There's no more depression. You don't have to have depression since Calvary. You don't have to have anxiety since Calvary. You can be healed. You don't have to have cancer since Calvary. You can live a victorious life since Calvary. You can quit looking at your sinful life since Calvary. Quit pointing at your own sins since Calvary. Wake up every morning and think of Calvary. We know there's more beyond the cross. We know there's an upper room where you receive the Holy Ghost. You'll never get in the upper room without the cross. You'll never get over anxiety, depression, back problems, heart problems without the cross. So God says, there's no price too high, Satan. You name your price, I'll pay it. Corinthians 11, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Going back to our first quote, here you are sitting in a pawn shop. Since the fall, Satan owns you. He owns your nature, stinking, filthy, rotten nature, your sin. Everything that you are is because of the fall. And there you are in a pawn shop. You're lost. No chance of redemption. And he puts a price on you so high. How many of you knows how a pawn shop works? You put something in a pawn shop and you've got a ticket. It don't matter. Whatever the price is on that ticket, how come God had the ticket? He owned you before the foundation of the world. He was redeeming his pawn. Redeeming. That means to buy back because you owned it before. You owned it before. So he comes into a pawn shop and Satan's got a price so high. He thinks there's no way, there's no way this price will ever be met. And you look at yourself, I want everybody to, I don't mean, just look at your, yourself for a minute. You know all you've ever done. You know the thoughts you've had, the things you've done that you think nobody ever saw. And all that is just beaming off you while you're sitting in the pawn shop. Stinking, filthy. 
And God says, I come to redeem them. They are mine. So he's like, why would you want something so filthy? Why would you want something that does something so bad? It's all they ever do is they backbite about talk about people. They do this. They, they, they sin all the time. They got besetting sins. I know because I hit them every morning they wake up. God says, you think you do. I'm only allowing you. But I've come to redeem them. Listen, if you got that pawn ticket, pawn shop owner has to let you redeem it. Has to. Because it's got his signature on it. I have to sign it back over to you if you pay me the price. So he pays the price. Look at the price. Look at Jesus on a cross. A man that did nothing. Absolutely nothing. He loved. He healed. He raised the dead. What wonderful things. And this is what God says I'll give up. For you. He stripped Jesus of perfection and put it on you. He stripped him of righteousness and put it on you. And he stripped you of your filth, your sin, and laid it on him. When God's looking at Jesus on the cross, he should have been looking at me. Brother Branham said it was so bad he turned his back on him, he couldn't stand the sight of him. God says, I can't stand the sight of him. What was the sight of him that God couldn't stand? You. He laid you on him. That's why God couldn't look at him. Because my sin was on him. My sin was so bad, so filthy. And God said, I can't look at him. But now he looks at you. All he sees is Christ. That's all he sees when he looks at you. It's Christ. It's that life inside. God finally has a flesh that he could dwell in. That he says, I finally reached what I wanted to be. I couldn't reach that in that flesh body of Melchizedek. I just didn't feel right. It served his purpose. I couldn't feel this way in that body of Jesus. It served his purpose. But I want to embody myself in somebody that will know me as Savior. Somebody that will know me as healer. Somebody that will know me as redeemer. Somebody that will look to me and say, Father, I need help. That's what he desires from you. What is that to him? When you call out to him, what is that to him? It's fellowship. That's fellowship. That's all. It's it's that simple. We look so far over the top of God. God says, I just want to sit down and talk to you for a while. That's all I want. Fellowship. Fellowship. You know, you, you see these, these things, people start telling themselves, you know, my parents are getting older, you know, they're not doing well, they don't get out much, I need, I need to go over and, and, and spend some time with them. God feels the same way. Spend time with me. That's all, how simple, it don't cost you anything. It costs you nothing. In fact, I bet if you start spending time with him, you'll feel better. You'll feel so much better. There's no, it's impossible to have fellowship with God and not feel better. It's impossible. If you talk about him, he comes around. If you talk to him, he's right there. Get your mind off these things around you. Get your mind off anything. We get, we get so caught up in, in our human nature so many times. 
We're worried about what this person is thinking of us. What does you get these little oughts amongst us? I mean, knows what ought is. It's something that besets a little fellowship between you and a brother or you and a sister. We get those. We get them. We're human. We get them. But we keep them. That's the problem. We keep them. God, I don't want you to keep them. Why? It disrupts God's nature. You can't have fellowship with you, 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 you take Dick and not between a brother and sister or somebody coming to church. There's one ought between a bro, two brothers. Can ruin the service for the whole church. Right. It can. We bring it in here. You know, what, what, if, what, if, what if Guy and uh, Brother Harry got an ought against each other? I know they wouldn't. But what if they did? And, and Guy goes, tries to get, see how many people he can get on his side. And Brother Harry sees how many he can get on his side. What kind of worship service are we going to have? What kind of worship service are we going to have? Paul said, lay aside anything that would easily beset you. Lay it aside. How can you lay it aside? Because God already took it off of you. It easily besets you. That special person that you just, how oh, they get under your skin. Gosh, something about them, they get under your skin. I've heard people say, well, I love them, but I don't have to like them. If you don't like them here, you won't like them there. Well, that's human nature. Human nature is what caused the fall. Human nature. He died to take away that human nature. You think it's just petty because you and a brother have a disagreement. You and a sister have a disagreement. That person, every time their name comes up, you've got something to say to sharpen because they treated you so bad. They did something. He paid the price so you wouldn't have to feel that way. He paid the price so you would love them regardless. If you have an audit against a brother and he won't uh, reconcile with you, love him anyway. Let him know. Let him have his way. That's what God did. Jesus wished just everybody would, I'm sure every, everybody would have accepted him as the Messiah. The whole world. How easy, how easy would that have been? Everybody just, yep, the Messiah born, we can tell by he's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. He's doing all this. That's the Messiah. How easy would that have been if everybody, 100% of the world at that time accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah? No one would ever know God in Laodicea as a healer, as a, deal, a deliverer, redeemer. The things that you go through, you've got somewhere to lay that now. Our human nature. <clears throat> Sixth seal. And there's a price, and that's redemption. There's some price for redemption, and there was, nobody could do it. He said, made, some, made his laws, his own laws of a kinsman redeemer. Every man was born of sex, born after sexual desire. He was in the original sin, Satan and Eve. He could not do it. There is nothing in him. No holy pope, priest, doctor divinity, whoever he might be, no, he would, nobody worthy. He couldn't be an angel because it had to be a kinsman. He had to be a man. Then God himself became a kinsman by taking on a human flesh. 
through the virgin birth. He shed his blood. This, that wasn't the blood of a Jew. It wasn't the blood of a Gentile. It was the blood of God. The Bible said we're saved through the blood of God. That was the price that he paid for you. That was the price that he paid for me. Demonology, religious realm. And if I could think of how Jesus, when he died, he went and preached to the souls that were in prison. He died a sinner, knowing no sin. I'm going to hurry here, y'all. I apologize. Knowing no sin, yet our sin was on him. And God, for his sin, sent him to hell. God sent him to hell. The Bible says he went and preached to the souls. Your sin was cast back in hell. God didn't lay it to your charge. He took that for you. I'm going to skip some of these quotes. But understand this. Jesus didn't go to hell kicking and screaming. He didn't take your place kicking and screaming. I don't want to do it. He did it willingly. He did it willingly. He understood the price. Why? Why did he do it willingly? He knew death and grave and hell wasn't going to hold him. He knew it wasn't going to hold him. He didn't have to go to hell. Please, Father, no, don't make me go kick and scream and bite and claw and try not to go. He didn't have to do that. Why? He already knew. He already knew. I'm going to conquer that too. Saturday was a busy day for, God, for Jesus. Saturday was busy. He was kicking in doors, right? Throwing sins back in. Throwing your, your little things that, that bother you, that hinder you. He was throwing them back into hell. And he took the keys. Sometimes we try to take those keys from, from Jesus and open it back up. If he has the keys, let him have them. They're better in his hands than they are ours. He was on the cross, a spotless lamb, and never committed no sin. But God looked at him and despised him for your life. He despised him for your sin. God says, I can't look at him. You know, we, we, we talk about, Brother Bram says, when he went into the garden, God left him in the garden. No sin will ever touch a holy God. No sin will ever touch a holy God. How do you think God can live in you when we think, well, this sinful body, this, the price was paid. The price was paid. Your sins are no longer on you. That's how God can dwell in this, this nature body, this human nature. God can dwell in this. Why? Because he took your sins off of you and laid them on Christ. That's why you, people get thinking, I, I, I just can't, I can't live that way. I can't do this. I can't do that. Because this flesh gets in the way. God don't look at it that way. God don't see it that way. God looks at you spotless. Why? There was a spotless lamb that took your place. The lamb that took your place took all your sins. So now God says, I can dwell in human, in human flesh again. And when he looks at you, what does he see? Himself. Brother Bram said, he became me that I, by grace, might become him. You become Christ. You become God. The living nature of God lives and dwells in you. That's what God sees. When you make a mistake and, and you, you fall down, you do whatever, and you, and you repent and come to God and repent, God don't see it. God don't see it. He sees himself, his own life. God can't sin. If you're going to testify that God is living in you, living a life in you, if you're testifying of that, how could God sin? 
How many has the life of God in them? How many has the Holy Ghost? It's the same thing. <clears throat> I'm going to move along here. I, I, I didn't mean to. I'll do six pages less next time. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also can pass about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto, unto Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand uh, of the throne of God. The price was paid. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to feel bad feelings for somebody anymore. You can forgive them. That life is in you. Amen. Do you think Uriah was sitting there waiting on David when David crossed over? Murdered him, took his wife. You think he was sitting there waiting? You wait till that feller gets here. Wait. Hey, however you feel now, Brother Bram said, your character is what, what you're taking with you. It's what you're taking with you. So if you can't stand somebody now, if you don't get rid of it, you're not going to stand them over there. I understand human nature. There's different personalities don't mesh. It's just the way it is. But if you purposely avoid somebody because you don't like them, or they said something about you, they hurt your feelings. You don't like them here, you ain't going to like them there. That's enough about that. So... I was, when I was studying this, I got to thinking about Easter morning because I thought, well, people are going to expect an Easter sermon. But as I was thinking about that, I got to thinking of Peter. And we've heard that, you know, Brother Harry singing the song a while ago. And the Bible talks about how Peter began to run. He heard his Savior had risen. He began to run. Couldn't wait to get there. But then he got to thinking. I denied that man. I cursed in front of him. His pace began to slow down. The urgency, Brother Harry, was gone to get there. But what Peter didn't realize, the denial... When he denied Christ, God had already laid it on Christ. When he cursed, God had already take, took that and laid it on Christ. God didn't even know if Peter had brought it up. Lord, I forgive me for denying you. God didn't even know about it anymore. His worry was in vain. But his human nature took over. God's, Jesus is going to reject me for what I did. Jesus is going to turn me away. He won't let me preach this gospel for what I did. The devil does not use any different tactics now than he used then. All he got to do is make you think God don't care. God ain't listening. God won't heal you. God won't deliver you. The same thing he told Eve, God will reject you. 
It's the same thing he's telling God's children today. That's what he was telling Peter when Peter was running a marathon to go see Jesus. And it turned down to a 100-yard run because he slowed down. Don't let Satan throw, keep throwing your human nature in your face. God took your human nature unto himself and gave you his nature. It, it's so hard. I get it. I get it. You know, in studying this, I was thinking about, you know, we, 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 tell, we hear people say, I need a miracle. I need a miracle in my life right now. I wish a miracle would pass me by. A miracle don't have to pass you by. It don't have to pass you by. It's already in you. God put that miracle in you when he gave his life in you. It's there. You need miracle for healing. Sister Erica needs a miracle for healing. It's already in her. Her healing is already in her. Brother Ron Spencer, he needs a miracle. It's already in him. Sister Cynthia this morning, she needs a miracle. It's already there. It's there. It's always been there. We fail to see it. It's God's life in you. It's already inside you. Reach out and grab it. Do you realize you, there's a miracle in you for somebody else? I've heard somebody say one time, well, I can pray for you, but I can't believe for you. That's nonsense. That is nonsense. Go tell the, the mother of that little baby in Brother Branham's meeting. When that woman came down there beside her and prayed for that baby, she took it up to the prophet. What did he tell her? I can't pray for your baby. She evidently didn't believe in the prayer of the woman because she said, I need my baby prayed for. God had already healed it. Why? The faith, the miracle for that baby was in that woman. Amen. We would have to give Jarius' daughter CPR to bring her back and then pray for her if she was the one that had to do the believing. Who's going to believe for your loved one out there? For, who's going to believe for your husband, your wife, your child who's lost? Your son, your daughter who's on drugs? Who's going to believe for them? They think they're having fun. Who's believing for them? You are. The miracle for their salvation is in you right now. All you've got to do is, is speak it. Satan wants to get us down in the dumps and beat us over the head of our loved ones are lost. My husband's lost. God said you could have them. God said you could have your children. You say, Brother Joe, you don't know what my kids have done, where they've been, what they've, what they've done. You don't know. Price was paid. The price was paid. They didn't disclude your child. God didn't count everybody but your child. He said, I paid the price. My life is in you. Let my voice speak for your child. Let my voice speak for your healing. We're, we're living to the point. You look at the world around you. We're at the end. You can, you can turn it every which way you want. We're right up to the door of the rapture. And we're still living defeated lives. Still living defeated lives. You get things in your life and you say, I can't do this. You know what you say? The cross wasn't for me. Easter wasn't for me. Well, God said it was. Who are you going to believe? Yourself or God? Amen. The price has already been paid. We make the cross of none effect when we waller in, in the things in our life. They're besetting sins. Well, Paul said, lay them off. They easily beset you. Easily. These things are, why is it they easily beset you? Because they're petty. 
They're petty, and you're hanging on to them. That's just a trick of the devil. Something that you can so easily set aside. And Satan thinks, makes you think in your mind that you can't. That's like I was saying earlier. Dad threw me in the water that was chest deep. I could have walked out of there. Easily. I could have walked out of there. But we trust in our own human nature sometimes. And that's what stumbles us. We're at the door. It's time to let his life live in us. It's time to, to lay aside things that bother us. It's time to lay the odds we have against this brother, against this sister. It's time for the body to come together. Amen. What, I think the last time I preached here, we're white blood cells, right? We fight together. We fight together. That's what heals the body. That's what fights off diseases. What if them white blood cells start, start fighting against each other? You're going to have a problem healing the body. You're going to have problems with divisions in the body. <clears throat> Let's stand. I think I went too long. I apologize. <clears throat> you know, it's, I think that sometimes we don't we don't let Satan know who we are sometimes. We don't let Satan know. You say, well, I ain't, I ain't talking to him. Really? Do you realize Satan was the first one Jesus preached a sermon to? Took him up in the wilderness after he received the Holy Ghost. Took him up in the wilderness. What did he give him? He gave him the Word. First one to receive the Word was Satan from Jesus. If that same Jesus lives in you, you will tell Satan the word. God said I could be healed. God said I could be delivered. Tell him. He can't read your mind. He can put thoughts in your mind. And hopefully you'll act on his thoughts, but he can't read your mind. So how does he know what you're thinking? Tell him. Tell him what you're thinking. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. More than conquerors. Satan needs to know that you feel that way. Yeah. Satan needs to know that you believe it. Yeah. You think just coming to church, sitting here reading your Bible, singing songs, raising your hands, worship, they do that in every church across country. Yeah. Every church. He wants to hear it from your mouth. He wants to hear your confession. Well, maybe he don't. I'm going to tell him because he don't want to hear it. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. There's nothing. When the price was paid, Easter morning when he walked out, that sealed the deal. That's what God traded for you. God traded everything that Christ was. He traded for everything you were. He made a trade. Easter morning, he put a seal on it, Brother Harry. It's finished. It's finished work. You no longer, you no longer have to be beat down. You no longer have to worry about whether I'm right or not. Let that life live in you. That life will never be wrong. And tell him about it. I, was, I, I had Brother Harry um, ask him to do the song here. Because we're going to leave on a high note. So I, I could tell you, I told Brother Harry, Larry yesterday, I said, how many times I've listened to this song since I've been studying this. Sometimes you've got to look the devil in the eye and tell him who you are. Tell him who you are. And if he don't listen, tell him again. And keep telling. Y'all ready to worship? Yes.
<clears throat> Y'all might know the song. I gave it to the guys in, in, the, in the booth to put it on there. If you're here this morning and you are surrendered to the Lord, I believe this is this is your soul can sing this song. I started out to win this race, to serve the Lord and to look upon His face. But the way's been long and the way's been rough. But there's one thing for certain my mind's made up. I've got bitter cup when the devil comes a knocking showing me an easier way I stand right square on my feet I throw my head in the air I look him straight in the eye I say my foot's on the rock and my mind's made up I've got my foot on the rock and my mind's made up drink from the bitter cup when the devil comes knocking showing me an easy way I stand right square on my feet I throw my head in the air I look him straight in the eye I say my foot's on the rock and my mind's made up now Job was a man I've got my mind made up. I've got my foot on the rock and my mind's made up. Though I walk through the lonely valley, though I drink from the bitter cup, when the devil comes a knocking, showing me an easier way, I stand right, swear on my feet, I throw my Say, 
sin right square on my feet I throw my head in the air look him straight in the eye say my foot's on the rock and my mind's made up I've got my foot on the rock and my mind's made up though I walk through the lonely valley I drink from the bitter cup when the day your feet on the rock amen we've made up our minds no matter what we can't go back amen what's saying victory is mine well victory is mine victory is mine
more time. i 
told my dad I wasn't going to make him do this, but I'm going to ask him to come and sing My Redeemer Lives if he doesn't mind. Do you believe our Redeemer lives? Amen. Who taught the sun where to rise in the morning? Who told the ocean you can only come this far? And who showed the moon where to hide till evening? Whose words alone can catch a falling star? Yes, I
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. How many can say it's been good in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Good to see each and every one that can make it. I know there's visitors in here. Good to see each and every one of y'all. God bless y'all. Y'all may be dismissed. What's tank? Take up your cross and follow Jesus. As you're dismissing the fear of the Lord. Take up your cross. Help me with the hair. <laughs> Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross.